0: Mark Wyatt, and he shared with me some of the innovative things that they're doing down in Raleigh, North Carolina, where he and his wife Kim serve as CBF missionaries, also with regard to refugee resettlement. And all of this was taking place about the time that there was a lot of rhetoric swirling around in the media and in politics. And Matthew and I got to talking, and we we just did not want the media and the politicians to have the final word on what it means to be a neighbor to somebody. So we got together at Starbucks over cross Huguenot Bridge and had a cup of coffee, and began to put together this sermon series that we are actually r- wrapping up today. And we also put together a four-part Sunday school series called Loving the Stranger that many of you went through during the month of April. So I am just so thankful that we were able to do this, and my prayer is that today wouldn't just be the end of the series, but rather it would be just the beginning of something new. I I won't go into a full recap of where we've been. I've, I've provided that in the bulletin for you, and then some notes that you might take a little bit later on. But the foundation of the series is really seeing Christ in the other seeing Jesus in the guest in the neighbor in the one who is a stranger to us and Jesus said that which you have done unto the least of these my brothers and sisters you have done unto me and so it really is a change of perspective in how we see other people and there's a passage in the new testament that uh, f- falls in the 19th chapter of the gospel of Luke where we see Jesus Modeling for us what it means to be neighbor, and he calls out one whom nobody else liked, and expressed care for him, and everything changed. So Matthew, um, tell us more about that story of Zacchaeus. Today. Right,
1: a story that may be familiar to a number of you who've grown up in the church and we've sang that song before, but it was, it was good for me to unpack that a little bit more. I learned a lot doing the research, and so Luke tells of a sequence of events that help illustrate how the roots of hospitality, what we've been learning about, and then it leads to the fruits of hospitality, which can change our perspectives. Not just our perspective, but when we change the perspectives of the people around us, they change too. So Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem, and he knew what awaited him there. But his disciples were with him, and there were crowds that gathered around him interested in the ways that he had been ministering and healing. And all the way along, he's telling this is what the kingdom of heaven coming to earth will look like. And he uses a variety of different um, interactions with people to do that. And then he gets to the gates of Jericho, Mm -hmm. and he finds this man just inside, up in a tree. And he looks up and says, Zacchaeus, get down from that tree. And he called him by name. Now, that's no surprise. Jesus calls people by name. Jesus knows us. He knows everything, right? But everybody there knew who Zacchaeus was. This is no stranger to the people of Jericho or to the people in that region. Because Zacchaeus, as we're told in Scripture, is a chief tax collector. Zacchaeus had uh, power. He had wealth. And people knew him. It wasn't always a good thing, though. People didn't always have the best um, thoughts about Zacchaeus as they they interacted with him. You see, a chief tax collector in those days was an independently wealthy person. And what they did with their wealth is they made more. They invested in it by going to the Roman government, an occupying force in the area, not welcomed by the Jews. And he um, purchased he bid on the uh, contract and purchased it in order to turn around, collect the money for the Roman government, and then take money off the top for his own gain. So here's a wealthy guy getting wealthier off the backs of the, the Jewish people there. He, a Jew himself, has kind of turned his back on the people and we're making money from them through the government.
0: It's kind of like... Stealing from your own family in a way, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so I I don't think that the people of Jerusalem, of Judea, of Jericho were very fond of Zacchaeus. Yet, in order to do the best, if you're a business person, if you're a farmer, if you just have taxes you owe, you want to get to know this guy. In order to get to know this guy, then you become friendly with him and maybe, just maybe, he won't be as tough on you. Maybe he won't take as much from you if you're in good standing with Zacchaeus. So therefore, I believe, I feel like he he was well-known, and people would bend over backwards to help him out and to be a good neighbor to him. But as soon as they left, they would turn their back and they would talk bad about him. No one really liked Zacchaeus. He was just there as doing the the Romans um, bidding, and they had to acquiesce. And they really didn't like him. So here he is up in a tree. Why is he in a tree? I mean, if he is that powerful and that connected... Couldn't Zacchaeus really just get his henchmen, his, his men that work for him, to clear space on the road so that he could be, have a prime spot to see Jesus when he came yeah. along and then grab him? Or couldn't he have just set up an, uh, a private meeting with Jesus? Uh, I'm sure he did that often with people that he had to do business with. So uh, why not do it that way? I'm not quite sure, except to say that maybe Zacchaeus knew who he was. Maybe Zacchaeus knew that, yeah, what I'm doing isn't on the up and up. I am taking advantage of my own people. I'm wealthy and I'm getting wealthier. And, yeah, people talk great to me at my face, but they talk bad about me when I turn around. And then this Jesus. Here comes this Jesus, and Jesus doesn't have anything. I, I have nothing that I can get from him. There's no way to take this relationship and make it work for me. Jesus is just offering himself and has nothing, so... There's no give and take here. What do I do with Jesus? But I'm really curious about this Jesus. There's something different about him. I'm not like the crowd, but I want to know. So I'll climb up this tree, and I'll wait, and I'll look. Mm -hmm. And I'll learn something else about, about him. And then here comes Jesus. And that's a classic Jesus. He is so in the present, in the moment. He knows what's happening. He knows that there's a person in that tree that no one else likes in Jericho. That is in need of a good word from him. He is in need of a healing relationship. Mm-hmm. One that doesn't take advantage of other people, but is knowing, being known, uh, Zacchaeus being known for who he really is, not what he can give, not what he can take. And so Jesus, Jesus calls Zacchaeus down and says, Zacchaeus, I want to come and have dinner with you. I want to help illustrate to these people what the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of God really looks like. And the crowd, yeah, they go wild. <laughs> But not for the good reason. They didn't like it. They were offended. Why, Jesus? Yeah. Here we are suffering uh, as an occupied people. The Romans are already persecuting us, and here Zacchaeus turns his own back. This wealthy man who maybe could have done something good for us, and he takes from us too. And now you, who are proclaiming something different, you are so different, and you want to spend time with Zacchaeus.
0: Why? It just doesn't add up. Yeah. You don't. You wouldn't. I mean, that's just not normal
1: let's compare Zacchaeus. He's a rich guy to another rich guy, another rich ruler that, ha- right. that Jesus had just confronted in uh, Luke 18, starting at verse 18. There's another uh, rich ruler mm-hmm. who is confident in his faithfulness and being a, a good Jew and keeping the commandments. And so he sees Jesus and knows that he is a, a good teacher. He calls him good teacher and walks up to Jesus confidently and says, Jesus, I'm doing all these great things. I am keeping your law um, but remind me again, how am I going to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Yeah. Tell me what I already know. And Jesus says, well, you're, not, you're right. You are keeping the commandments. You're keeping the law. But there is There's one thing you do lack, and that is your possessions. Those, those are defining you too much. You're too wrapped up in who you are. And it's very likely this particular ruler was probably seen favorably among the, the people there. So he says, you need to give up your possessions and your things, and then come follow me, and you will inherit the kingdom of God. What happens? He can't do it. The ruler can't do it, even though he is seen by others as a good-standing Jew who follows God and keeps his commandments. But he walks away no different than when he encountered Jesus because of the possessions, his status, who he is. He can't give that up. So here we are with Zacchaeus, who's up in a tree, probably ashamed of right. who mm-hmm. he is and what he's been doing and the scripture says that he's short but I really feel like that might allude to something more like he just he understands that his confidence is is not where it should be he's lacking some of that self-confidence and he knows he's all alone mm-hmm. um, and even though it appears that he has everything going for him he knows he's alone and isolated from the rest of the crowd and so Jesus calls him down and says I want you I want to know you and I want you to know me not because of what one of us can provide or not, but because I love you. And so he does that. And Zacchaeus hears the muttering of the crowd. He knows, oh, here we go again. The crowd doesn't like me, and this is just another instance where it's clear that I'm the bad guy. And he says, but "Wait, Jesus. Man, you show me such grace. You show me such love that you want to know me. Right. Yeah, I'm willing to give half of my possessions to the poor. And there." Not only that, if there are people I have cheated, and you know he's done that, I want to give back four times what I took from them.
0: Four times. So you're saying he's he's gonna give everything he has to the poor? Well, half of, ha- his possessions. half of half yeah. of his wealth, half of everything, right. And then four times what he had taken yeah. to pay people back,
1: right. to make retribution. Now, can you do the math? Well, I mean he wouldn't have anything left. He wouldn't have anything left. You think that really happened?
0: Well, it's in the Bible. Yeah, it is. I think the the point, though,
1: is Zacchaeus was willing to do what the ruler wasn't. He was willing to give it all up. Yeah. He found something that was more important than the status, than the things. He found a relationship with God. And and following Jesus, that would would be enough for him, and he would be taken care of. Now, uh, Zacchaeus' perception has been changed completely about who Jesus is. And about his life and what it means mm-hmm. to follow Jesus. Yeah. And so he's willing to do this radical thing, give back to the poor and to the people he's cheated. So when he goes off and starts doing that, how do you think the crowd reacts? How do you think the people who have been cheated by him start to react?
0: I mean, it would, to me, it would be like if, if somebody did that today. And, you know, let's say somebody charged us too much interest on, um, on our car loan or our credit card. Today, you have payday lenders. That's right. It would be like a payday lender who is knowingly charging exorbitant interest right. on people who can't afford to pay it, and then they have radically changed, and then come door to door to pay back what they had done four times over. It, you, you just, that's unheard
1: of. Right. We, we generally see them as people who are taking yeah. And yeah. taking advantage of, of others. Right. But wouldn't your perception of that person change if Absolutely. they started to do that? Absolutely. That's what's happening here with Zacchaeus.
0: And people start wondering why. I mean, and imagine the ripple effect right. from that. That um, it, it would be almost like contagious when people start to tell other neighbors yeah. about what happened. So
1: Zacchaeus' story is crook, bad guy, steals from the poor. Um, Jesus affirms the dignity that God has given him, is in each of us. We are children of God. Zacchaeus realizes, wait, I'm more than my story. That's right. I want a new story, and I want to follow Jesus. And the ripples just break out from there.
0: Well, it's, um, you know, it's amazing when you think about uh, this whole understanding of Christian hospitality and how we are able to experience reconciliation with, with others. Uh, everything in our, our perception changes. Uh, we're able to see the community around us in... Uh, in a different way. We're able to, to see the dignity in other people and uh, restore relationships. And I remember you telling me about a powerful experience that our Slovakia team had four years ago That's right. that you were on. Uh, several of our uh, folks were there who are in this room. Yeah. And I, I think it would be really helpful if we could make that connection because the story of Zacchaeus, it's, it's a 2,000-year-old story. I mean, That happened a long time ago. Uh, but what, what you've experienced helps us to see it in a very fresh way, that it's, it's possible. Can it happen day. today? Yeah, yeah can it, and it Absolutely. does.
1: And an experience that we had, our first group who had gone to Slovakia to work with the parks, we hadn't been on the ground for a whole day yet. Been there, had, spent the night, and got up, and the first thing we were doing was worshiping with a group of Roma Christians there in the middle of Kosice Kis- in Slovakia, and you probably know this by now since we are so um, invested in the work that the parks do, that the Roma people in Europe are marginalized. Mm-hmm. They're looked down upon, and the people of Europe, they don't really trust them. Uh, they're suspicious of what they might do. There's a, a history to that, and so those people, uh, is how the uh, Europeans refer to the Roma, they mm-hmm. don't quite trust them. And so here is a group of faithful Christians who are Roma, in the middle of the city, and we go to worship with them. The week leading up to our visit, there had been a Norwegian church group, a youth group, and a German youth group who had been working with the Roma, and this church in particular, and so they had put them out into the villages outside the city where the Roma live, and they had conducted camps, and they had spent the week in their homes. Now, the Roma don't have a lot, but what they do have, they have usually built with their own hands and they they take pride in that and so they welcomed them into their homes and kept them during the week and like any good church who is hosting a mission team they want to hear about it at the end of the week so yeah. that worship service was a culmination of their week of ministry and mission and so they're singing songs and they're telling stories about what they learned and they invite the german pastor to stand up and talk about what he'd experienced and when he did with tears in his eyes he asked the congregation for forgiveness you see, in World War II, the Roma, like the Jews, were rounded up by the Germans and were also placed in concentration camps. Uh, they, they also were seen as part of the problem in Europe by the Nazis. And so they were placed in these camps and held just like the, um, like the Jews. And at a certain point, they, like many Jews, uh, met the same kind of fate. And so even today, those memories are still very fresh yeah. for the Roma. And like I said before, there are many Europeans who still are suspicious of them. So this German pastor, and we see a picture of him in the green shirt, is getting up and saying, my grandfather was actually an officer in World War II for Germany, and he worked in these concentration camps. And while I'm not sure exactly what he did, we know that there were atrocities suffered at his hands, too. And I'm here to ask you for forgiveness, because I know who you are now. I've spent a week with you, and you are not the dangerous, suspicious kind of people that we thought. And I grew up that way too, thinking, I'm not sure who these people are. I'm taught not to trust them, Mm -hmm. but I know you now, and I want to ask for forgiveness. And so the Roma pastor called up some of his older members who were kids during this time and said, will you accept this man's forgiveness? And they said, we will, but that wasn't it. They said, we want to ask you, the German pastor, for for forgiveness as well. Because yeah, we remember that time, and it wasn't good but we have learned to not trust the Germans either. Okay. And, and we have called them names and cursed them behind their backs and taken advantage of them. And so we need to ask you for forgiveness as well. And so you can imagine this team from Huguenot Road Baptist Church sitting in this worship service, and we were just amazed. Wow. We really experienced God's reconciliating power yeah. um, and the change of perspective that happened, both on the German pastor's part, but also for the Roma. Why? They had opened up their homes. Hospitality was had. And they knew each other for who they were. It was a powerful moment.
0: So this is, this is the fruit of hospitality. When we are able to be in relationship with one another and begin to trust one another, to learn one another's story, then this is the fruit that can happen, this fruit of reconciliation and restoration of relationships and healing. And that, that's possible for us today, for every one of us who have the power of the Holy Spirit we can take those kind of steps and see this fruit at, uh, uh, as, as we uh, continue to live lives as believers. Uh, there, there are some things, like I said earlier, we, we don't want the series just to end today. We want to take next steps and, and put these principles into practice when we have the, the roots of Christian hospitality, of seeing Jesus in the other, that several things can happen. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. As um, next steps are taken, um, like Zacchaeus, we, we can choose a new narrative. We do not have to allow the old narrative to dictate our future or determine our next steps or our destiny. We can claim a new narrative through Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, Zacchaeus came down from the tree and was at table with Jesus and was able to see a new way of living. And so much so that he went out and he modeled it and asked for forgiveness and restoration and made payment back to those who he had wronged. So we can choose to change our narrative. And with the Holy Spirit's help, we can do that. The second thing is we can live in such a way that other people will ask why we live that way. Why? I imagine people say, Zacchaeus, Why? People say to the German pastor, why? Or to the Roma people, why? How could you do? How could you have the strength to do that? And we then have an opportunity to say, because of what God has done in my life through Jesus Christ, and to simply begin to to share the basic message of the gospel, the good news. But all of this happens in relationship. And you might say, Pastor Bob, That's hard. I don't really feel comfortable talking to people. I'm not good at introducing myself to people. And you know what? It, it's possible for, with, with God. All things are possible. Uh, it can be through where we go to school or in our neighborhood or in, even in our own family uh, or through the workplace that, that we can just choose to say, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to trust God to help me connect and, and maybe build a relationship and see what God's going to do. And um, this past, um, well, several weeks ago, on May the 6th, we had the memorial service for one of our longtime members, Dorothy Baroe, and um, Willie, her husband, is in rehab now. And during the memorial service, one of our members, Dwayne Gibson, who's going to come on, come on up, Dwayne, shared a personal testimony about his relationship with Willie and Dorothy that I felt uh, you all needed to hear. And so, Dwayne, thank you for coming, and, and just share how God led you
2: into that relationship with the Barrowi family. Oh, there you go. Um, I, those who may not know who I am, um, I've um, actually opened and, and uh, run the McDonald's down the street. Um, and um, over, uh, I guess the store opened in 86, and um, um, the breweries, um, which I called Aunt B and uh, Uncle Willie, um, uh, were regular customers. And they're such a, a, a special uh, couple. Uh, they would come in, park in the same parking spot, and, and get out of the car. Willie would open the door for her, walk her into the store, hold her hand. He would sit down. She would get his coffee, get her tea, and they had the same routine. And they would do that five days a week. I didn't see them on weekends, but they would do it uh, quite frequently. So over a period of years, I got to know them uh, quite well. And um, we bonded a relationship. I found out he was in the Coast Guard and my brother was in the Coast Guard. Um, she loved working in the, in the yard and that's my passion. I love working with my hands and working in the yard. So we got a little bit closer in that, in that aspect, but um, I knew their car. I just remember seeing their car. So um, over a period of time, um, they didn't come in for a while. Hmm. Several weeks went past. Okay. And um, I said, something's not right here. So um, going home, I go past this way. And I remember them telling me that they lived in the old Gun Estates, but they didn't say where. So driving home one evening, I, I was coming down Huguenot Road, and I said, let me just turn in here for a second. So I was looking for that blue car. And I turned into old gun Estates, and, Lord behold, the first house on the right was the house that they lived in. What are the odds of that? It was a God thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't realize what I was doing when I, when I was doing it. I just kind of just just made that move. Uh, went to the door and and, um, and they they uh, came to the door and um, something hit me. I just knew that there was a special moment there. Um, their son had passed away. He had been ill, and um, they were mourning and they were just they were um, in deep um, sorrow and. Um, they welcomed me into their home, and they showed me where their son had, had slept. And, and, and um, there was a special moment there where um, a relationship got a little bit stronger. So as leaving the house that evening, um, Aunt B said, do you do yard work? <laughs> I said yes. Um, she had lots of yard work that had to be done. So um, we set up a date and, and uh, set up a time, and I, I came back to their house. And um, did lots of yard work. And uh, I would never pay them. They would never pay me. They would, I would always ask, please, I don't want to get cash. I'd rather uh, just do it for, just, you know, for, for friendship. So they insisted on taking us to a ball game. That's when the Richmond Braves were the Braves and not the Squirrels. And um, this was 1993. Um, Willie was a retired umpire for the Major League uh, Baseball. So he had some perks. So <laughs> yeah. we picked him up one evening and took him uh, to the baseball game. And we got to sit right behind the dugout. mean, we were, like, right in front of the wives. It was really a special treat. And um, they were talking about um, uh, his major league experiences and so forth. And, and um, actually, we got to see Chipper Jones, those who followed the Braves. We got to watch Andrew uh, Jones, uh, John Rocker. We saw all those guys play. And the relationship got closer and closer, and so we, we kind of kind of bond. so um, we had this relationship that it still means a lot to me. Um, Thank you That's okay. That's okay.
0: Um, well, I know she she wanted to keep. She wanted to pay you for the yard work. She though. wanted to pay me for the yard work. You yeah, I, just,
2: just, uh, I I get so um, emotionally, um, I guess it meant so much to me. Um, I went back and, and um, did some more yard work, and um, they wanted to pay me. And I said, if you write me a check, all I want to do is turn around and, and give it to my church. What I didn't realize at this moment is they were struggling through their a church that they were, they were attending. And they said, well, where do you go to church? I said, right across the street. And they said, oh, the Catholic church? I said, oh, no, no, it's the Baptist church. <laughs> uh, and um, I said, well, if you'd like to go and join us, you're welcome to. And uh, the first Sunday, I sat right there in five pews back where they always sat and um, sat with them the first Sunday. And weeks later, they joined the church. Mm-hmm. So the whole uh, intention, it wasn't, I didn't have an agenda to, you know, it's like, hey, I want to get them to join the church. Um, It was one of those things where I think God just put me in the right place at the right time. And it it just, still to this day, like just now, I got kind of emotional about it. So it means a lot, and I I think God worked in my life with that. Yeah, he did. He did. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dwayne,
0: for willing to share from your heart today. And maybe your story will encourage us to think about the relationships that we have with others. Maybe, maybe somebody who doesn't know the Lord, or may, maybe somebody who's really struggling with something, um, and, and maybe a door will open, just like a, a door opened for the Baroes to come. And even to this day, our congregation's ministering to Willie in his grief, and now that he's in rehab. And so, thank you for being willing to take that risk. Uh, God through his son Jesus, looked up in the tree to find Zacchaeus. You got in your car. You didn't know where they lived. And you were looking for the car, their, their car. And God led you to their home. And look at the fruit that came from that. That you were willing to look. Are we, are we willing to, to look at others? and see Jesus in them, and look at others as God looks upon them. When we do that, everything can change. Perceptions can change. Our perception of others, and perhaps their perception of us, their perception of the church. I pray that God will speak to you And that God will encourage you to take next steps, to be neighbor. Let's pray together.